A lot of you guys have gotten to know Pete since he moved here in 2013 from Boston. Uh, Pete's from Boston, and so uh, there's a lot of the strength and the beauty of that city in him and his family. You guys know um, Brian and Kathy Emmett, a lot of you who are Pete's parents. But I, I would just say this to you, to commend him to you as a young leader. One of the reasons that um, we, want, we want to hear more of Pete is that, first of all, there's a, there's a huge amount of the Word of God in Pete. And it, it's not just up here, but it's lived out in a way that he can pull from it and share where it has matched his real life experiences. He's also somebody who's extremely hungry and thirsty for spiritual things. He moved here, in fact, partially just out of his desire to be able to hear God speak and things like that. So I really commend that to him. Uh, Kathy and I have known Pete since he was about, I don't know, he was younger, uh, but in college. And um, he's been so consistent and yet growing along the way. It's been beautiful to see he and Christine together. And of course, now they're two, two little guys, and guy and girl. And... Um, and Pete, I get to be right next to him as his friend, and Kathy and I get to pastor Pete and Christine and get to hear the stories and watch the big steps of faith that are occurring in their lives, including right now as Pete steps out to launch a school that you guys can be praying for, uh, Gwinnett Global School, that will start this fall. And it's really an endeavor, like any faith endeavor, that needs all, of, all hands on deck to fight for it. And yet, Pete will stand in the midst of it as our leader in it in a way that none of us can know or walk out. So as he's up here, you're getting a chance to know his heart. Uh, we're excited to hear from you, Pete, and then we're with you in everything that you're walking into. All right. Thanks, Jamie. So I am very thankful to be able to be with you guys this morning and thankful that Chris is to, able to take some time with Donna and his family over these next few weeks. Uh, we really appreciate his leadership, but we are praying for him and praying for them that they would be encouraged and refreshed by the Lord in this season. So you can join with me in that. And then I'm so thankful for the chance to share with you guys today a few of the things the Lord has been showing me in this season. And they all have to do with living a life of faith, uh, living by faith and not by sight, and sort of learning to walk with Jesus on the water. If I were continuing in Pastor Chris's peculiar series, I might say a community of faith in a culture obsessed with certainty and control. So that's a little what we're going to talk about. And... I think, as Jamie mentioned, uh, Christine and I are very thankful to be a part of this uh, family and this community. I moved here 10 years ago and, like Jamie said, was really seeking the Lord's direction uh, and word in my life and just really growing and learning to follow him more closely and see how he would lead me. And it's been really miraculous seeing the way the Lord has answered those things in my own heart. Uh, things that I wasn't even anticipating have come into my life in this season in these last 10 years, including Christine, who's fantastic, and Lucia, and now Mateo, and now this school. So this church has been a huge part of my landing here and getting founded and sort of grounded in a faith community that could support me in growing in what God was doing. So we're so thankful to be a part of you guys, and I'm thankful for the chance to share this morning, so thank you. Uh, I'm gonna pray for us. 
Lord, you are good. You are faithful and worthy of our trust, and we turn to you this morning. And I pray that we would hear the words you have for us and that we would learn to respond. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at a few passages. Uh, we're going to start with Abraham, the father of faith, great place to start, but back when he was Abram at the beginning before God changed his name. And really, the story of Abraham is all about promise. God is a giving God. He is a promising God. He intends good things for his people. He intends great things for Abraham. The story starts with promise, and it continues with promise, and it follows up with more promise. And then Abraham is called to walk in faithful obedience, living in the reality of what's been promised before he can see it realized. Only after that faithful obedience does he see God's provision. It's the same provision God had been planning all along from the very beginning. But the process of getting Abraham's heart ready to receive it took him through promise and faithful obedience and only then into that provision. And all of Abraham's attempts to bring the promises into his own control, into a place of certainty where he could see and touch them, uh, they don't work. The promises don't change. God's faithfulness never changes. But Abraham just can't get to them any other way than the way God has for him. Promise, then obedience, no workarounds, then provision. So this story starts with God speaking. That's always a good place to start. There are a lot of stories where you introduce a new character in the Bible and it says, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Those are not great stories. Uh, or there are stories that start, and the word of the Lord was rare. Those are harder stories, or king after king, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So it's nice that Abraham's story starts with God speaking, and Abraham being clear enough to hear it and receive it. So the first thing God says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that's Genesis 12, verses one through three, at the very beginning. And then interesting, the next part is really key. The next words, so Abraham left, as the Lord had told him. Uh, key part, he just obeys. He doesn't see it all yet, but he leaves believing what God said. And it goes on. Uh, he gets to a land, Canaan, and it's inhabited by a bunch of other people. And God again, promise, to your offspring I will give this land. More promise. But Abraham still has to live in reality. There's other people living there. There is a famine in the land. He goes to Egypt, and there's trouble with Pharaoh. He lies and says Sarai is his sister in order to prevent Pharaoh from, in his mind, killing her. And he almost loses everything. Uh, it doesn't 
go exactly the way he would want. And then he's growing and he has to part ways with his nephew Lot uh, because there's internal conflict and they're sheep and people are getting too massive to stay in the same place together. So there's a working out of it and dealing with the realities of life in the midst of still holding on to this promise. And then God comes with more promise. Lift up your eyes, look north, south, east, west. All the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. And again, key part, Abraham immediately responds with obedience. He moved his tents and went to live there in the place that the Lord showed him. But again, the pathway still isn't super clear. There's chaos. There's warring tribes destroying each other. Lot gets captured. Abraham has to go fight that tribe to bring Lot back. Uh, so he's not seeing the reality yet. And then God more promise. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. Okay. So Abraham, Abram, sorry, is rolling along, but he's starting to wonder, perhaps understandably. He's getting a little nervous. There's been a lot of promises, and he's starting to think, how can I be the father of many nations if I don't have a son yet? God's with him in it. He welcomes the conversation with Abram, uh, and he reaffirms his promise. And he says, no, it'll be a son from your own body, Abram. And he repeats it. Look up to the heavens. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So it's this interesting interplay where <laughs> Abraham is Abram is faced with this, and he believes God, and yet he's still saying, but, uh, how will I know? So he's starting, okay, I, I'm with you, God, but okay, I need some help here. How will I know? And God's okay with it. He doesn't strike him with lightning. He responds. He doesn't do it all yet. Uh, he doesn't immediately provide generations in front of Abram. But he does assure Abram of God's own faithfulness. He confirms his promise with covenant. He says, to your descendants, I give this land. And then there's that great scene where the bowl of fire, which is representing God, passes through the sacrifice. And that's the way that God seals a covenant with Abram. And it's a covenant as binding as anything else that could be agreed to in that day. So once again, God reaffirms his promise. And then he makes some new ones. He basically assures Abram that he is faithful. And then Abraham, Abram is left simply believing it or not. The evidence isn't quite visible yet. Okay, and so Abram is learning to walk in this space of hearing the words of God as more true than what he can see and continuing to walk it out in faith. Okay, but more time passes. He starts to worry again. Sarah's getting frustrated. So she comes up with an idea, a workaround, a way to get the promise and heir by her, their own machinations. Sarai works it out for Abram to have a son with her servant, Hagar. 
it does not go well. And yet, God's faithfulness to his promises is not negated by Sarai and Abram's uh, weaseliness in this moment. There's a working it out, and there's consequence, and Ishmael and all that happened with that are realities that need to be dealt with. And after Ishmael, Abram has to wait another 13 years. So there is some consequence there. But God just keeps right on promising. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me. Be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Still no heir. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And God establishes the covenant of circumcision with Abram, and he gives him this as a sign, again, of God's faithfulness. God gives Sarai a new name as well. He calls her Sarah and says she's the mother of nations. Still no kids, just promise. And again, just like those other times, when the word of the Lord comes clearly, Abram, now Abraham, responds in obedience. He goes and takes everyone, all the males in his household, and circumcises them, according to God's instructions, as a sign of God's covenant promises to them. It's a step of faith, a painful one. Uh, and still, none of the outcomes are there yet. It's all still just promise. So we get glimpses of Abraham facing the reality of walking into God's promises. I like this story because it's not just a glory story. Uh, Abraham really has to wrestle through it with God. He believes God. And I think from the very beginning, he believes God. But he keeps coming back to him to say, okay, but okay, what about now? Are you sure? Um, I believe you. And then at times he tries to make it happen in his own way because he's heard so clearly from God and he believes him so clearly that he thinks, well, he's saying to do this, so maybe I've got to do it through Hagar. And then maybe with Pharaoh, I'm too scared of anything happening to mess this up, so I've got to protect us, so I'm going to lie and in my own strength, try to protect my own life so Pharaoh doesn't kill me and take Sarah to be his wife since we're married. So she's going to be my sister. And again, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get in my head trying to find workarounds to the things that God has put in front of us, they end up sounding clear for like two seconds in my own head and then going terribly uh, when we play them out, as happens with Pharaoh. Uh, and crazy, it's not just a glory story, because the exact same thing happens again with Abimelech, another ruler, who Abraham comes to, and he does the same thing. And he says, no, she's my sister. Be friends with us. And the Abimelech one happens after God makes the covenant and passes through the sacrifice, after God gives him the covenant of circumcision. Uh, it's not just the early days when Abram is sort of stumbling through trying to make it happen in his own strength. And yet, God is faithful. 
Our desire to control the situation cannot change God's faithfulness. It may affect the path a little bit, but it does not affect the outcome. God is faithful to all of his promises. The reality is they are more solid ground than anything we could see or touch. Honestly, we like to think the things we can see are more solid. They're not. Buildings collapse. Banks fail. Walls crumble. Currency crashes. Mountains fall into the sea. All the world will be shaken, but God's word remains. And the work God has to do to preserve his promise is a little bit wild. Uh, When Abraham gets into trouble with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's whole household is cursed with diseases because he's about to get in the way of God's promises. God makes it impossible for Pharaoh or anyone in his household to mess with Sarah and Abraham, even though they set themselves up to get messed with. Uh, Again, the same thing happens. Abimelech's whole household is cursed. Every woman was infertile just to prevent anything from getting in the way of the promise happening with Abraham and Sarah through their own child from their own bodies. God wasn't messing around. Each time, crazy, Abraham and Sarah left Pharaoh and Abimelech and they gave them a bunch of stuff and said, please leave. God is doing something with you and we want nothing to get in the way of it. So just take some money, take some sheep, please go away. Uh, They're blessed. It's wild. Uh, Even in their weaseliness, God is faithful. Promise. And he's willing to deal with their attempts to work around his time. Nothing will get in the way. Uh, God was giving Abraham a little bit of an inside track all of the promises and the words he was giving just to encourage Abraham to stay close to him. In Hebrews it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham could start to see like the lines of what would be going out before him, before others could see them. He began to see the outlines of this invisible city that God was building before others could. And that encourages him to keep on walking it. Finally, the moment comes. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. At the very time God had promised him, Isaac is born. Concrete provision, real life flesh. To all of those promises for descendants, it's here. This could be like the pinnacle of the story. And yet, even when the real concrete provision arrives, the call is still to walk by faith. Don't get tricked into abandoning the pursuit of the invisible structures of God's own design as soon as you start to see some of the physical reality. The provisions we can see are just the surface level, like symptoms, of the same invisible promises that have always been there. Don't start building a new physical structure around the part that you can see. 
Uh, that was the very temptation with Isaac, right? Now that he had him, would Abraham cling to him? Would he be the ultimate helicopter parent? Would he take control of making sure that that promise of uncountable descendants would happen? God promised Isaac. But Abraham doesn't own Isaac. He had to hold it all loosely. There was no question about God fulfilling his promise, but Abraham had to be open to it going way different than the way he could envision and see and taste and touch. Abraham has to go right up to the point of sacrificing Isaac, of being willing to trust that God would still be faithful to his promise in spite of what Abraham could see on the surface of it all falling apart. It's the same way with Jesus and Mary. Uh, but with Jesus, there was no ram provided at the last second. He was the sacrifice, and he had to face it. And Mary, his mother, who had received a promise that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High, the Holy One, the Son of God. She had to stand there and watch the Savior of the world, crucified, dead. The promise was still as true and trustworthy as it had always been, but the provision in that moment, it didn't look like anything she could have imagined. We have to be prepared for the provision, the fulfillment of God's promises, to be different than we would expect. And we have to be prepared for others to question the whole thing. Imagine standing there watching Abraham, having known him, and known the promise and known the fight, walking up that hill with Isaac to sacrifice him. What would you say? Don't do it. Are you kidding? We know what the people said as Jesus was being crucified. They mocked him and all the disciples and Mary. They ridiculed his claims to be the son of God. How could the son of God be killed by men? And yet it was only through the cross that Jesus could become the savior of the world, that thing that was promised to Mary, defeating sin and evil once for all. That was the only way provision could come. There were no workarounds. Jesus even asked if this cup could be taken from him. And it wasn't. There was one way. Uh, and we get Peter, who follows the same pattern. He receives promise. He has to walk out in obedience without any workarounds before he sees provision. Jesus says, when he first meets Peter, Peter's a fisherman, go out, put down your nets for a catch. It's a promise. Even though Peter complains a little bit, okay, Jesus, been fishing all night, okay. He obeys, sort of like Abraham. He believes him. He's a little bit questioning Jesus' methods in this case. But he obeys. And then they pull in the miraculous catch of fish. So full, their boats begin to sink. Then Jesus says, from now on, you'll catch men. It's a new promise for Peter's entire life. And at every turn, Peter bumbles his way through. 
He often gets it wrong. He gets lots of chances to believe the promise and to stand on it. And he gets lots of chances then to turn and rely just on what he can see and touch. At one point, Jesus calls Peter out to walk on the water. And Peter begins to. The invisible lines, foundations, architect and builder is God. Then he starts to get afraid when he sees the wind and the waves. He starts to sink. When Jesus asks him, who does everyone say I am? Peter gets it. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, and you're Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will never overcome it. Another promise. And yet in the very next moment, Peter's trying to make it happen in his own strength. When Jesus says, I need to die, Peter says, no way, never. This shall never happen to you. And right after the promise he had just given, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. God never abandons Peter or his promises to make him a fisher of men and build his church. Even though Peter bumbles his way through, the promise stays the same. And then after the resurrection, when Peter's restored, it's the same promise. First, it's sort of like a wink to Peter and all of them. They've been fishing. Jesus shows up and says, try this. And they catch more fish than they can carry. And then God reaffirms Peter and says, feed my sheep. It's the same promise. You'll be a fisher of men. You'll be a feeder of my sheep. And then Peter has to walk it out in obedience. Uh, And that happens at Pentecost. He has to start saying the things the Lord is telling him to say. And he doesn't know how it's going to go. He doesn't know if everyone will kill him the next day. But it's God who brings the provision, a miraculous provision of people that's ongoing to this day. Uh, Miraculous fish, sheep, men and women who have been caught for generations after them. So you may balk a little at the examples uh, of Abraham or Peter and Jesus and say, okay, like, we'll hold them up. But those are crazy God stories. But we have their stories not to praise them as these untouchable heroes of faith, uh, but to teach us to go and do likewise. We're called to the same life. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. We're called to walk in an intimate relationship with God who speaks to us and leads us with promises. Abraham walked with God. Jesus lived in moment-to-moment intimacy with the Father. Peter got to walk on the water with Jesus. Even Jesus says it's actually better for you guys all, us, today. He says it's better for us because we have the Holy Spirit. We have more than those guys did. So anytime we get tempted to think, well, Abraham had God right there talking to him, and Peter had Jesus right there with him. Jesus said, actually, we have it better. We have all of them and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, we're called to even greater things. So in this moment, I'm in a moment where we... Christine and I and our family are walking in the land of God's promises and daily being challenged to walk in obedience to then see his provision. 
and daily facing the reality of will we try to find our own workarounds. We're praying for a miraculous catch of fish. We're learning what it is in this season to walk on water, to be willing to do it the way the Lord will lead us uh, without seeing every piece before we step out into it. And we saw this with our son, Mateo. There was God's promise. We would have a son. And then there was walking in obedience as we went through his diagnosis and all of that story that we've shared before and all of the questioning. And then there was pursuing God, believing that he was good and he was faithful. And then we saw God's miraculous provision. Uh, here he is. He's healthy flesh and blood. He's the affirmation of God's faithfulness to us. Uh, praise the Lord. But we don't own him. We still have to walk by the same faith. And it's the same with Gwinnett Global School that we're starting. God's led us to start us. Start it. He's given us some promises. We're learning to walk in obedience. We can see the outlines of the things he's building and the vision he's giving, but it's not there physically yet. Will we be faithful to see his provision? And are we willing to take it the way the Lord will do it, even if it looks different than we want or different than we thought? And where do we try to build based on the physical things we can see and take them and run with them rather than staying on God's invisible but much more solid foundations? Where are we looking for workarounds and trying to control the situation to improve on God's strategy and timing because he's so slow? That's a facetious comment. Uh, we believe he's faithful, but we also are in tremendous need of his miraculous provision. And it's only miraculous provision that will make this season work. The right students and families to come. The right partners to support us financially so we can serve all the families we're called to serve. Uh, God clearing the path through county with the buildings and all of the bureaucracy so that we can have space. These are things only God can do, like opening 90-year-old Sarah's womb or being the foundation under Peter's feet as he walks on water. Uh, our God is a God of promises, and he makes promises to all of us. Some of them are for everyone. I will be with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. And then he has promises for each of us individually, like his promises to Abraham and his promises to Peter. But we need ears to hear them and hearts to receive them. He may have promises about your family or your children or your purpose, your future. Uh, he may promise that you will have a cat puppet named Jacques that you will use as part of teaching young people in a school. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be anything, but his promises are a more trustworthy, more solid foundation to build our lives on than anything we can see. So I think God's invitation is there. And for us in this season, there's something 
about the story of Abraham and Isaac and what we went through with Mateo that I think God is confirming in our hearts his faithfulness in a way, but then were Mateo wasn't the end of it, that he's here wasn't the final part, but that's an entry point into the kind of life God is calling us to in this season. Can we see him as faithful regardless of what our eyes are looking at or other people might be saying? And there's something about that that gives us faith and hope and confirmation as we launch into this new thing with the school, but then also all that will come after. I don't know exactly how it works. We're so thankful that Mateo is healthy, uh, but we know it, it doesn't always go that way. But I know he's good and faithful, and there's something he's doing on my sense so strongly is that the Lord is using this to get our hearts clear to trust him in every situation. So for all of us, where's he speaking promise? Where are we pursuing comfort rather than walking in the calling he's given us? Where are we just walking on solid ground rather than taking Jesus up on his invitation to walk on water? Where are we clinging to certainty and control rather than putting our weight in faith? And faith is not a delusion. It's not acting like something is true even when it isn't. Faith is acting like something is true even though we can't see it yet. And there's a difference. There's the illusion, and this really is an illusion, of control for those who insist on staying planted on land. But we all know land isn't as solid as we think it is. But there's great fellowship for people of faith who walk on water. So our prayer is to be able to hear him and to walk with him into that. I think I'm going to pray for us. I don't know if Jamie was coming up or not. And we'll invite these guys up as we do. I uh, obviously am not going to call Donna. <laughs> I'm also not going to call Christine. Uh, no, but... We're going to invite them to come up. We'll sing a song together. We will have people um, who will come stand with us to pray. If you need to come to the Lord, he is here in your seat, up at the altar, or with someone who could pray with you if that would be helpful for you. Uh, but I invite you to respond to him where he's speaking and leading you this morning. So, Lord... We reaffirm that you are a faithful God, that all your promises are true, and that you bring every single one to completion. Some take from the very beginning of time to the very end of time to be realized. We don't get to say the timeline, but we know that every single one is as solid a foundation as could possibly be built on. So for all of us, if we are knowing the things that you have said, help us to have the faith to walk out on them. 
to test the solidity of your foundations. And if we are in a place of uncertainty, or where we don't know, or where we need your promises, where we need to see your provision, I pray that we would turn to you and believe that all who call in the name of the Lord are saved. Can we turn to you and see the way that you will speak to us? We need to hear your word. Those of us who are needing your promises for the areas that have been sources of pain or hurt in our lives, we turn to you and say, open our eyes to see where you are speaking and leading. We need you, Lord. And then help us to walk in the promises you give in obedience, no workarounds, that we could see your provision. The only way this works is with you, Lord, and by your Holy Spirit. So we pray for that now. Pray that you would fill us in this place. Pray that you would confirm for those of us who need it that you are trustworthy. Just like when Abraham asked, but how will I know, God, you answered him. And you reaffirmed the promise. So for those of us seeking, Lord, I pray that you would do that for us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.